Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Michael Wasserman. He's the CEO and co-founder of Tiltify, a fundraising platform that provides live, interactive, telethon-style technology to engage donors. If you've read or seen stories of people raising tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars kind of gaming online, there's a very, very good chance that they were actually using Tiltify to do so. So in this episode, we start by hearing about Michael's journey, just like how the heck did you start this thing and where did the idea come from? What has that been like? A uh, really interesting journey for him. And then we talk about live stream fundraising and how it's more than just gaming and kind of its different application and uses. And then we end talking specifically about the global pandemic and COVID-19 so many events getting canceled and people looking for things to do and people looking for new ways to raise funds, kind of like what role does live stream fundraising have to play? What challenges uh, does it possibly present and what opportunities are there? So that's what we have in store for you today. It's a really interesting chat, especially if you're kind of more a traditional fundraiser and these things like online gaming seem so foreign. Uh, hopefully you find this uh, conversation interesting. So thank you as always for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, Michael. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I know you've had a busy day and you're having a lot of conversations, so I appreciate you having one more with us. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think uh, there's daily conversations now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the things we want to talk about is just kind of like what is you know fundraising and the type of work that you do? What does it look like you know, in today's day and age? So we're going to talk live stream fundraising. We're going to talk COVID-19 and virtual events. But before we get into any of that, I would love to hear just a little bit about the story of how did Tiltify even come to be and how did you get in this world of live stream fundraising? Sure. So a very strange journey of my life. Um, so very weirdly, I actually went to Berkeley College of Music. I was a guitarist. Um, so obviously, of course, now I run a tech company. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, moved. I'm from Canada originally. So went to school in Boston, moved to L.A., um, and started writing music for movies. Um, very strange turn of events. Started writing and producing movies. Um, I was good at raising money. Um, hmm. And um, basically, that was going fine. And then in 2006, while I was sort of on some downtime from a film, some people that I knew at a, a charity in Los Angeles asked me to help with celebrity... Um, uh, with getting some celebrities to participate in events. Um, so I reached out to some people that I was friendly with and got them to participate. And it was something that had to do with uh, one of the children's hospitals. Hmm. And I got to hang out, with the, hang out with the kids for their Christmas party. And it was kind of like a life-changing moment. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it really kind of touched me. And then other people started asking me if I could do that because they raised quite a bit of money from that. <laughs> and simultaneously to that happening... There was a writer strike in 2007 and then the recession in 2008. Hmm. Um, so a lot of the movies I was working on kind of got wiped out, but people kept asking me to help with these charity events. So I started doing that. And obviously in Los Angeles, there's a lot of big galas and celebrity poker tournaments and things like that. And mm -hmm. I, you know, produced a lot of movies. So I was like, oh, well, I can do like a 500 person event. 
um, you know, no problem. <laughs> um, so uh, I went and started doing that kind of stuff and started uh, opened up my own consulting firm and started doing a lot of the black tie galas, celebrity poker tournaments, and then getting into digital strategies as those became more popular. Um, huh. And then in 2011, I threw an event that was around gaming and celebrities playing video games against each other, and it was really popular. And then other people started asking me to do gaming stuff because it was cool, and it started getting big. And I met the guys from Twitch in 2012 and essentially had this idea looking at what they were doing, saying, oh, you're making telethons for people. (laughs) Um, Someone should make a charity platform that actually lets people do these telethons for charity. Yeah. Um, so we did and we, uh, <laughs> people thought we were nuts and, you know, we launched Tiltify in a beta version in 2014 and then Twitch gets bought by Amazon for a billion dollars. <laughs> and everyone that we were talking to goes like, Oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. And then from there, you know, YouTube creates live stream, Facebook creates live stream, Microsoft creates live stream from Mixer, so on and so forth. And, you know, the industry kind of grows from there. And we're kind of helping sort of pioneer this fundraising space that didn't really exist before hmm. in, in a new way and allowing other charities to really get into it. And, you know, just really expanding into this virtual social fundraising space, which is what we look at it as now. Wow. What a what a journey! That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, I love asking that question, especially to founders, uh, because it's never a you know a linear path. It's always quite you know it's adventurous. Never like, this is what I planned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's never like oh, I went to MBA and here was my plan, and here's it's always like yeah, yeah, like I was a guitarist, and then you know fast forward. It's pretty awesome. So, can you maybe unpack like kind of like live stream fundraising, virtual events, or like what does that look like to watch two celebrities play games? Like, how on earth do you raise money from something like that? So the idea ultimately behind live stream fundraising in general has almost nothing to do with the content from a perspective of what it needs to be. Hmm. Meaning it has nothing to do with gaming. It has nothing to do with playing the game. It has to do with gathering a bunch of people together and interacting with them. Right. That's it at its like most basic level. What we right. realized was it used to start in gaming because you could only stream gaming on Twitch when Twitch started. That was mm. the rule. Right. So 100% of live streams were gaming. <laughs> um, since they opened it up, people would do everything. Um, and, and people are now starting to realize that. Music, art, food, whatever anybody wants to do. But the idea is that somebody creates an entertaining channel, people gather to that channel, and then while you're there, they interact with you. And so the fundraising comes in based on the interaction. So I equate it a lot to a live auction Hmm. where everybody's there, it's exciting, they're gathered, everybody wants to be a hero, they're raising their hand, they're bidding on things. So I equate it like that because to me, live stream fundraising is very similar where we have technology where you'll donate, your name will pop up on the live stream for everybody to see. The person who's doing the content can see your name in your comment and say, awesome, thanks, Brady. Thanks for the $2,000 and read your comment. There's a chat that's there that's you know excited and calling you out. Hmm. And then you create these fun interactions. So for example, we have 
various features like rewards that you could put in like, okay, every time you donate $25, I will write your name on my arm, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, Jacksepticeye does one all the time that he has a board behind him. And if you donate a thousand dollars and he has a little voice changer, he does for it. He goes, you donate a thousand dollars, you're going on the board. <laughs> and he goes and writes your name on the board behind him. It's like a wall of, you know, honor. Yeah. Um, so it's just about really interacting and acknowledging in fun ways. And then people obviously from entertainment purposes do all sorts of things like, hey, if I get to $5,000, I'm going to eat some chicken wings right. or hot sauce. Or if I get to 10000 or or 100000 I'm going to shave my head. You know, then people just start getting creative. So it's, it's about, it's that interaction that raises the money. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, so it combines elements of like peer-to-peer, of your kind of gala, of like a concert, of all, that brings together all these different types of things we do in the offline world and makes them viewable, engaging, and accessible yeah. in the online world. Uh, very interesting. What are a couple maybe success stories? I mean, we talked about gaming, but there's so many other applications that, you know, you've had either recently or, you know, that are maybe more well known for people to still maybe like wrap their minds around, like, what does this look like or how do, how do people succeed? So one of my favorite, um, examples is, so there hasn't been one in a couple of years, but when we first started one of the very first fundraisers on Tiltify, um, this, um, very small influencer. Like when people think of influencers, they think of people who have, you know, millions of, of followers, which is Mm -hmm. really not the case. An influencer can have 10 people that follow. Mm -hmm. So this, this content creator, you know, I guess you could say like micro influencer, Mm -hmm. um, who would be viewed by like 20 people created this live stream for doctors without borders. Mm. And his, the people that his friends, family, whoever would watch him, viewers, uh, realized that he didn't like pickles. So somehow it came about that he created something called the Pickle Challenge. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do a charity stream. And every $200 we raise, I will eat a pickle. Um, and it got to a point where when he'd get close to a $200 goal, he'd do a close up of himself and like eat the pickle and it would be really excruciating for him. And then he'd go on and hang out with them. And he played a game called magic, which was a card game. And then, you know, he'd build back up to, to eating that. And I, everyone always wanted to push him to the next pick, next pickle. Right. So, you know, when he first did it, I think he did one before he did it on Tiltify that raised like 1500. Then he did one on Tiltify that raised 3,500. Um, and, and just from there, by the way, the thing I always like to point out is like, these are way higher than normal averages of fundraising, right? Right, right. They like someone just raised 1500 or just raised 3,500. <laughs> the average of peer to peer events is like 500. Yeah. You know, um, and this is like in a day. <laughs> you Crazy. Know? Um, so he started doing two of them a year. And so in the course of two or three years of doing these, he raised from just eating pickles where he would add things in like, okay, at $2,000, I'll drink the pickle juice. (laughs) Then he started doing them and making pickle smoothies where you could use our polling system to choose ingredients that he would have to put in. Um, And over the course of, I think, two and a half, three years tops, he raised like almost $50,000 for Doctors Without Borders, um, you know, being watched by like 20 people because he didn't like pickles. Yeah. Um, and that to me is like kind of the epitome of what it is yeah. as like a really successful and not super famous person. Like right. That's, you know, anybody, you know, is I hate to call them average, but it's like that's the average person 
right. fundraising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what's so uh, interesting and why I wanted to to have you on and have this conversation is, you know, like the the fundraiser in me or the person who knows the fundraising industry, I know there's a lot of questions like, is this really charitable? Do they really understand the cause? Do we get the donor information? You know, these are the lines of questions that I'm sure people always ask you. And how would you respond to kind of those types of questions or those people or that perspective? Um, first of all, I would say not only are they into the cause, but they're into it so much where they're going through way more trouble than most (laughs) people to create and plan a fundraiser on your charity's behalf. Some point to even, which is like a big thing about how Tiltify exists, reaching out to you as the charity and trying to get you to join Tiltify in the first place so that they can even do this. Right, right. Um, You know, where they could just use your page and not, you know, care and just drop you 20 bucks. Um, So they care even more. And actually, it's their caring that drives these higher than average numbers Mm. because they connect with their followers and community members Mm. and talk about why this is important to them. And it's that discussion of the charity that drives important fundraising. Like as an extreme success example, the most successful live stream of all time so far, what took place in December uh, from Dr. Lupo, who raised $2.3 million in 24 hours for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Now, um, you know, Dr. Lupo puts a ton of planning into his stream and he is incredibly good at showing videos, telling the charity's message, bringing other people via voice who have kids in the hospital to tell their story to the Mm. audience Mm. and explain why this is important. So really understanding the impact is a huge part of the, of the success of his live streams and why they've been raising so much money over the last couple of years. I think over the last, uh, you know, um, a couple of years he's done, you know, uh, you know, probably close to, uh, $4 million, um, by himself, you know, um, and it's, it's, you know, so it's really important. They're really passionate and they want to be involved so much that they're, trying to find ways of doing it because a lot of the technologies in the standard donate button text picture fundraising page that they're being given doesn't work for the medium that they live in. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a couple, you know, great points. One is just the the engagement opportunity around, you know, being able to live stream and talk to people even just like we're looking face to face and how much better it is than if we're just on the phone. You know, like yeah. that whole thing is just uh, we can't, we undervalue that so much. It's so funny that for an industry that's like, oh, it's all about relationships and knowing your donors and things like that. Uh, how cold a lot of fundraising yeah. actually is. You know, one of the other interesting things for me, so I ended up, I worked at a like peer to peer fundraising software company up in Canada for a, a little bit. And what was interesting kind of seeing that you see like the huge potential, but also how uh, a lot of organizations struggled with it. But over the years, I think something that shifted for me is when you look at not viewing like how many donors did we get or even how much you know revenue did we necessarily get from everyone and average gift, all the classic fundraising metrics. It's more like um, that that person who ate the pickle 
or that doctor who did that live stream. It's it's like a different form of major donor type strategy. And so they're not writing these big checks, but like that's a significant amount of revenue plus brand exposure plus awareness. So there's an element of like, if a donor writes you a big check, do you like, ooh, how many other donors have they talked to? Like, no, you're like, thank you so much for the check. And you, but because it comes through small donations in one entity, we've kind of shifted our mindset. So viewing the like fundraiser as a major donor, as opposed to like all the little donors as the ones I think once you make that shift, it's a very, very different proposition for a lot of organizations to think about as a fundraising stream. I think you also make a really amazing point that I I try to point out sometimes, which is, um, so like when Dr. Lupo does his stream, he also donates. Right. I don't remember the amount, but let's say it's 50 or 100,000 that he puts in himself of the, you know, millions that he raises. And, you know, it'll be common you know, I've seen streams with other influencers who will drop 5,000, 10,000 right. into their own streams. So these are, imagine if your major donors' donations were leveraged in various ways Interesting, to yeah. gather additional micro do- donations. Yeah. How innovative of a concept that is um, instead of just sending in a check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing that I like is this is such a, like a, or people are coming to you as the organization saying, here's something I want to do and here's the platform, right? So the organization doesn't have to do a lot of the legwork necessarily all the time. That's one of the struggles with peer-to-peer. It's like no one's asking to do this and they launch their peer-to-peer and then they're like begging people like, please, will you do this walk or ride? Mm-hmm. It's like no one wants to. Whereas this is a lot more organic where people go, oh, I have this sweet idea for a concert, me and you know three friends, and we're going to do this, we're going to do this on your behalf. And so when that motivation is so high and they're willing to, like you said, do the extra work almost, it's almost you know a great indicator of success, which I think is really, really yeah, interesting it, too. It baffles me still when charities are hesitant or even turn it down um, <laughs> when somebody is that interested in raising money for you when that is ultimately the core of what you're trying to do yeah that you don't accommodate them yeah uh we could talk a lot on that but for another day uh for another day (laughs) so that's kind of like you know live stream fundraising virtual events and like the the world that that can be applied is so massive uh i want to talk about the world that we're in right now and a lot of the work that you and your team are doing as so many people are canceling events canceling galas losing revenue desperate for ideas. Um, can you talk a little bit about the response that you and your team are taking, but maybe what organizations are looking at and, you know, what can people do in these times when so much of the in-person experience is going away? Sure. So obviously this is an unprecedented situation. Um, you know, at least in any, in our, you know, generation. Um, and, you know, we've been pitching the idea of live stream, of social fundraising and, you know, meeting people where they are on these platforms for years mm. and charities have been slowly adopting them. And then it's kind of like, OK, now you got to speed that up because that's all that's left. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, you know, I feel for the charity and, you know, having that being said, like a lot of people really love their cycling event and their a run walk event yeah. and doing the activity and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, you're also losing all of that. So, um, you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of organizations, uh, you know, coming to us looking for uh, gala options is a big one. So mm. like, what do I do? You know, and, and those are, you know, typically high priced yeah. 
gala tickets where you have live auctions and, and silent auctions and in-room masks. Um, and people are looking at virtual options there. Obviously, every run, walk, cycling, endurance type event is being canceled. So people are looking at um, how to beef up their virtual opportunities um, to, you know, make them attractive uh, to an audience. And, and, you know, that's, you know, people have to now start really digging into the virtual world at a way that, you know, some people might not have been ready yet. You know, there are organizations that are doing incredibly successful in it who have been doing it for years. Um, but, you know, some charities, it just has not been their focus and has not been their thing. And some of them rightfully so because they have incredibly in, uh, successful um, uh, uh, walks that, you know, there's yeah. you know, no reason necessarily to worry about it. Um, so, you know, it's it's forcing everybody to, to shift. I, I, you know, as I said earlier on, on the, the live stream I did, you know, I, I think it, at, at least in a positive sense, you could look at it as an opportunity to, to make that change, to dive into uh, virtual communities. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully when all this is over and, and you can have your run walks back and different things, you now have that plus right. all of this virtual opportunity um, uh, that's available. So what are what are kind of like barriers that maybe used to prevent organizations and maybe less so now in this world but like what what's what has been stopping organizations from maybe um trying virtual events or is it like risk factor is it the technology side like what what kind of goes into it maybe when you see people like man you really you know should do this and they don't Uh so it's a couple of factors so I think one of the things is um stereotype of hmm. what it is. So a lot of people will equate it with gaming. Yeah. Um, and then they'll equate that with the guy in their basement, um, you know, that potentially is, you know, uh, not that, you know, doesn't have money anyway and is like, you know, 18 years old and, right, right. and uh, you know, and then may do something questionable on their live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're concerned about the content because they don't right. have control over it and it's live. Um, so I think there's a lot of those fears come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to many people at charities that they're championing it, but higher ups or people on the board aren't comfortable with it. Um, a lot of questions about control and content. So I think that's what's mm. been stopping a lot of people and, and people, you know, also not understanding the technology, not knowing what Twitch is or, understanding the power of YouTube or don't know what discord is and, and, and different things. I think Facebook fundraisers did us all a massive favor by kind of proving the point a little bit. Mm. You know, I think last year in the 12 months, they did about a billion dollars. And I think that to me was a collective community of some people on social media going, thank you for making a convenient button on my social media platform mm-hmm. um, that I can utilize in some way instead of me having to go to your page and yeah. do whatever weird registration you want me to do that asks for my whole life story. Um, <laughs> so I, I think you sort of saw that and how open people were and how available it was that you actually did the fundraising where they were. And, and that's kind of what we're um, trying to use as an example. And, and obviously, as, as I'm sure you know, Facebook fundraisers has a lot of pushback, the data and are we getting all the information oh, yeah, and all that, yeah. which is again, part of the, part of the pushback of stuff. 
Yeah, and it's it's funny. I I've been you know having a lot of these conversations. Uh, we're trying to record more podcasts while people are looking for content, and the uh, the recurring theme throughout so many of them is just um, this more general radical shift. It shouldn't be that radical of really just understanding uh, where people are at and not asking them to do things that aren't very natural to them. And that's the biggest takeaway for something like Facebook fundraisers, which is like. They raised a billion dollars. They've cracked $3 billion with basically just going mm-hmm. totally around and outside the vast majority of charities, right? Of just people are just doing this naturally because they're on Facebook. They want to raise money. This is how they want to do it. And they don't care that the charity doesn't get, you know, they're just being humans yeah. living out their lives and yeah. seeing millions of dollars raised on Twitch stream. Like this is where people are. This is what they're doing. And now we're infusing charity into it. And there's like this fight between, well, we want you to do charity, but we want you to do it our way, you know, on our platforms where we control it. And it just seems like that's a bit of a losing battle, for particularly for something that's so socially, you know, geared like the type of stuff that you do. And it's just, it's going to be interesting to see now and moving forward where people are forced, like you said, to deal with some of these and adapt to see, will this will this stick around? You know, like, will this actually have a, a lasting impact, whether it's live streaming or not? But this approach of, you know, how do we be more in tune with how people live their lives and how charity can be a part of their lives as opposed to this separate thing, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, what happens. And I'm glad there's people like you that have been, you know, building the infrastructure for something like this for years. Uh, and hopefully more and more people see that it's not just, you know, people like me in their basements, you know, gaming, <laughs> trying to raise a well, few one, bucks, but one it's of the significant. One that we noticed was we went on the, I don't know if you ever got on the Wayback Machine. Yeah, on the oh yeah. Yeah. So we went on the Wayback Machine and looked up fundraising <laughs> pages from the 2000s. <laughs> And and they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the way back machine. It's uh, yeah, like it's... they're they're literally the same with like a couple of graphical fanciness added in. But yeah. they're the same. They function the same. You know, donate button, text, picture. Yeah. Um, and it's like you got to think about that and be like, you know, now like eighty percent plus of people use smartphones. Eighty percent plus of people are on so social media. You know, but you know. The, the the donate page is still the same. You've got to wonder about you know when that was going to change. Yeah, well, and I think one of the things that you you said earlier, which I think is really important, is you know um, once people get their walks back, now they'll have another thing that they could do. And I think that's the other thing is when we you know we're an optimization shop that focuses a lot on email acquisition, sending emails, and raising donations through regular donation pages because that's where all the revenue is. And there's this balance of optimization and innovation. And if that's all that we ever do, we're all toast. So it's not to say don't stop one and do the other. It's a combination of how do you start adding in these opportunities to do social fundraising, or how does Facebook fundraisers fit into your mix? You know, it's similar to like you wouldn't only do gala. You had gala. You had direct mm-hmm. mail, you know, you had different ways. It's just, this is how the ways look and they look very different, right? You could have social, you could have live stream, you could have peer to peer. It's a, can, it's a big part have, of the world there. Right. Exactly. It's massive. And so I think what's mm-hmm. going to be so interesting is seeing this, this change over, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 well, years. It'll take a while, but. And, and what I find becoming more realistic or, or, you know, permeating more in society is so. Like I, I did this example recently where I showed, you know, three of the most popular runners in the world, mm. like Usain Bolt, like the guy that won the Boston Marathon. And I asked a group of people, um, 
have any of you reached out to these people to do your run? And one was like, no. And I'm like, but these are the, these are the best runners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, ultimately I was like, well, how do you, how do you source runners? You know, and basically it was like, well, we just assume most people run or walk and, you know, if they want to be involved, anybody can do it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how social media works. <laughs> right, 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 right. Interesting <laughs> parallel. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't go out and say like, well, who's only the best people on Twitch or the most popular people on YouTube? It's, there's such a large uh, amount of people, you know, there's 2 billion people on Facebook. There's 2 billion people on YouTube. There's 20 million people a day on Twitch. There's so many people here. You might just want to go out to your audience that you already have and say, hey, by the way, these new tools are available. Hmm. Chances are, it, it would be statistically improbable that a percentage of them don't already do those kinds of things. Totally. Yeah, and when we, when we do analysis, one of the biggest struggles of, of nonprofits is lack of reach or lack yeah. of reach in a typical sense where, you know, they just, you maybe have an engaging mission, maybe you have a good way to, for people to give, but you're just, you're reaching 100 people when you need to be reaching, you know, 10,000. Yeah. And and maybe uh, maybe they're sitting on a lot more reach or distribution than they could even imagine. That's, uh, that's really interesting. That's what we find a lot. It's like they don't realize that they, for all I know, they have, you know, thousands of followers that would activate creatively. And we've seen examples of that. Yeah. And that's also because, as a side note, the most popular customer support email that we get at Tiltify is, hi, I want to participate in XYZ program from a well-known charity, but their fundraising page doesn't let me do what I do in my social creative world. So how do I do it on Tiltify and support them? Wow. So it's like they already want to be part of your Movember Whatever's or going on. Yeah. Life or whatever you have. Yeah. Um, but you haven't yet introduced the tools where they can be part of the mix. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, what's uh, like, what's next for you and your team? I mean, I'm sure you're working on all kinds of stuff, but what are you really excited about? What's, what's kind of coming down the pipe or what's on the horizon? We have a really cool announcement that's coming in about two weeks. Ooh, teaser, <laughs> teaser. <laughs> that I, I can't spoil too much, but right. basically going to be very cool. And we'll, uh, our focus is on social fundraising in general. Mm. So, you know, understanding that we have to be where people are yeah. and allowing them to easily utilize their favorite social platforms, whether it's Twitch, whether it's YouTube, uh, whether it's others coming. So um, we are continuing to work on technology to make our fundraising pages integrate with those technologies. Hmm. And uh, we're going to make a very cool announcement in a couple weeks of one of those really amazing uh, technologies joining our family. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. So let's let's leave it there. So if people are like, okay, I just I need to know what this announcement is. How can they follow uh, you and your work? Um, obviously, you can follow uh, us as a company. Our Twitter is we are Tiltify, um, and obviously, you can follow me at uh, MD Wasserman is my Twitter, but also on LinkedIn. Uh, Michael Wasserman, uh, you can follow us as well. And I'm, I usually post most of the stuff from the company on my own LinkedIn, but then on Twitter, uh, if you follow the company, they'll, they'll, uh, usually keep you up to date on, on everything that's going on. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to send that out when this uh, podcast goes out and then uh, we'll be waiting with bated breath to see what this announcement is. So uh, thank you, thank you we'll, so much for taking we'll time out of another podcast. about. Yeah, that that'd one. be great. We yeah. can circle back. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, with the, 
the change of, of everything that's going on in virtual events, uh, you know, and wanted to have you on the pod for a long time. Now it's like, hey, this is a great time. So I appreciate you, you know, making time in your busy schedule to come and share uh, what you're up to, but also how it applies to the reality that we're all in right now. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, have a, have a good rest of your day there. Awesome, man. Thank you. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com that's podcast at nextafter.com and if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research resources and training you can find out more at nextafter.com that's nextafter.com thank you very much for listening and finally I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill our producer and mixologist this would not be possible without him so thank you Nathan and thank you once again for listening 